Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we are kicking off a series. I guess we're calling this the quest for the best coffee gear. And this is part one, because the fact is, I think I'm having a bit of like an existential crisis or I am just so far down and deep in this rabbit hole of all of the various and many ways to make coffee Because, as I say in this conversation, and as you probably already know by now, coffee is one of the things I love most in the world, and drinking coffee, good coffee, is I think one of the absolute best parts of like the lived human experience. So we'll give you that context if you're like, what is happening here? But yeah, turns out there are many ways to make coffee, and some of those ways are quite inexpensive, while other ways require investments in incredibly expensive coffee gear. So I'm trying to figure all of this out right now for myself, and I have a hunch that many, many coffee enthusiasts, which we are now euphemistically calling all of ourselves, many of you wonder about this, think about this perhaps, And if you haven't already landed on your perfect system for making coffee, well, welcome to this conversation and part one. So what I am doing here, I am reaching out to some friends of mine and people I know who care a lot about this topic, and I'm picking their brains. And so today we've got Andrew Gardner on the podcast We actually recently talked to Andrew over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, where we basically were trying to think through mountain biking versus gravel biking and how useful or actually divisive these different terms are and these different cultures are and the rest. And I would very much encourage you all to listen to that conversation about some very different things. And so I'll include a link to that Bikes and Big Ideas conversation in the show notes to this episode. Furthermore, and just for a bit of historical context here, I'm also going to include a link to the conversation that I had with Cody Townsend a while back over on our Gear 30 podcast. And that will just show you a little bit, if you haven't already heard that conversation, it's just a little bit of a, yeah, historical moment of where we were at that particular point in time, trying to think through all of this coffee equipment stuff. And one more thing I want to say to all of you Breville fans out there, well, apologies, kind of. Um, I've had wonderful coffee made for me by dear friends at their homes and in their homes. And while there might be some tough talk in this conversation about Breville's, I am so happy to know how many people in my life are extremely happy with these machines. And I'm just here trying to sort some things out. So to the Breville owners out there who love their machines, God bless you. Y'all are the best. And one fact we should point out before I get a thousand emails about this, Breville does make a dual boiler machine. It's not the machine that we are talking about in this conversation, but I think Andrew might have said at one point that Breville doesn't make a dual boiler. They do. It's just not the one that everybody I know owns, and I know many people who own them. Okay, so just wanted to clear that up. Furthermore, this episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective. This is a small but growing collection of companies that we think are exceptional in their particular category, and they are also companies that are supporting the independent work we do here at Blister. So we will include a link to the Blister Craft Collective. Please go check out these companies. Maybe some of them are new to you. Please give their products a shot because one, I think you're really going to enjoy them. And I think there's a pretty good chance that some of these companies become some of your 
favorite companies in the same way that they are some of our favorite companies. So check it out, the Blister Craft Collective, and we'll include a link to the collective in the show notes of this episode. And now, let's really dork out about coffee gear with Andrew Gardner. Here we go. All right, Andrew Gardner, this is a bit of a cry for help on my part. And, <laughs> and I, think, I think you are absolutely one of the right people to come to. Um, first of all, I can't believe that you are kind enough to let me interrupt your morning, your busy morning, uh, to have this conversation, except I think you're a bit of a psychopath when it comes to coffee. So, <laughs> you're this is, this is true. Yeah, so, 100% fair. Right. So, um, while this is probably not what you ought to be doing with your morning, I'm really grateful that you are doing this with your morning. Definitely not. And 100% not a shock to anybody who knows me that I'm like, oh, I can, you know, like your media, I own a PR agency. So as far as I'm concerned, this is entirely an obligation that I need to be at. Ah. And the notion of getting to talk about uh, coffee for work is pretty great. First important question of the morning. What are you currently drinking? Uh, I So I'm drinking uh, an espresso shot pulled upstairs in our office, uh, from the, 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 uh, roaster is vivid. They're out of Burlington. Yeah. Sky Ian Bailey does an incredible job. It's all single origin coffee. And, um, he's kind enough to set up the agency as a, as a wholesale unit. So we have lots of beans rolling through here. We try to like give anybody who visits really good coffee and, um, that's the story. Yeah. Okay. Tell us a bit more about where you are and what you do. Uh, so I'm at the Press Forward office. I'm in Middlebury, Vermont. I do a few things and it's always like a joke. We call it the octopus because they're all wound together. At this point, um, I co-founded Velaccio Apparel and started that brand. It was acquired by SRAM in March. We talked a lot about that on the podcast yep. um, around gravel biking. And most of my work at this point is is uh, basically like the marketing director for that brand. Um, I also own Press Forward and I have a great partner, Katie Flagg, who runs that agency. Um, we do a lot of work for outdoor brands, Fisher Skis, Backcountry Access, um, other names that, that you would know. And, um, and so we sit next to each other, talk a lot about media. And simultaneous to those brands, I started Untapped Maple, which is like a sport nutrition brand with with some other folks in the in the ski and cycling world. And uh, yeah, that's the lowdown. So that's where I am, the like media headquarters conglomerate and drinking coffee and, and chatting with you. When did you first really get into coffee? Okay, that's a great question. So I was never a coffee drinker until maybe like my mid 20s potentially and i remember like drinking i would drink here and there if i had to like just straight up for the drugs to finish paper yep. in college or something yep. like that and i did not have like a palate at all for coffee or any inclinations that way it was like dunkin donuts was fine everything was great um I was a ski coach in a former life i coached as the head nordic coach at middlebury college and i think a, a lot of it had started there and simultaneously i was doing some freelance writing work and i was doing a little bit of marketing and branding and, and copy work and there was a great design agency in burlington does a lot of design for outdoor brands at the time it was called jdk it's it's morphed into a different agency now called solidarity of unbridled labor but they do work for like burton and they've done work for patagonia for microsoft like pretty pretty solid brands and um, it was a great introduction for me so one of the things that they did is they launched a coffee shop and uh, it was m my job to help with the writing branding launch of that shop and they as a result like sent me to a cupping class like to learn about coffee and so green mountain coffee in vermont has like a quality lab nearby and there's a coffee genius named Mane Alves who gives these classes. I took the course and like came out of that class, just an insufferable asshole about coffee, which is like perme permeated every other part of my life. And now I can't, it's, it's one of, one of the side effects of this is I have learned nothing about wine because I've recognized that 
the the amount of money I've spent on coffee after this education <laughs> is profoundly more than if I had just remained ignorant. Yep. So my wine knowledge is doesn't have an animal on the label. Great, we're good. Aha. Uh-huh. And but when it comes to coffee, um, that's what happened. Yeah, that's like a self-imposed regulator. Uh, that's just, right. Just to yeah, just to make life continue to work and you not go into debt and bankruptcy. So I, I appreciate the clarity here. Uh, got sometimes we got to set some boundaries up. Yeah, I, we talked about this on the bike related podcast too, and I think I was a road racer, like a pretty intense road racer, and those cultures intertwine a lot. Yeah, like an espresso before and after, like uh, you know, riding in Europe, those things. Those things connect. And so that part of, I think, probably just added fuel to the fire. Yep. Yeah. And I I mean, because of your intense cycling background, I actually just wondered if that was going to be your answer to how did you get into the, I, I, what's the right term? Aficionado isn't the term. It is like <laughs> psychopathology uh, about, right? I, and I, I, I think enthusiast. Oh, you I like enthusiast. enthusiast. I think it sanitizes yeah. it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't necessarily when you were racing bikes in Europe and just got swept up in the romance no, of no, bikes. No, no, and, and I've never raced in Europe. It was more, I mean, I've ridden, I've like been there. I think just the European inclinations in the States, I was never good enough to do that. My take, you know, the other thing that happened, and this is totally Vermont-based, is there was an incredible, there, it, it's under a different ownership now, but there's an incredible bakery called Virgin's Laundry that launched around the time I was riding really seriously. And it's almost the perfect distance away for a recovery ride and an espresso. And they did an amazing job. They made amazing coffee. And I think that was another sort of uh, gateway into this like incredible preference. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's absolutely a thing. I don't make any bones about it. I've like had hilarious stories about, you know, <clears throat> arguing with people over coffee, but that's... Um, that's where it is. I think it's one of the things that I feel like most strongly about. It'd be like my marriage, my family, bike, skis, coffee, sort of in that order. I love this. Wait, marriage, family, bikes, skis, skis, skis. bikes, coffee, bike, skis, coffee. Yeah. Those so things I think that, yeah. So coffee's actually fifth on your list. Yeah. It's in the mix for sure. Yeah. It's like up there. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this a whole lot lately. And recently I've had it number three. No judgment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I um, and I'm like that can't be like a sign that I'm a good human being, but but it might be true. So I just read um Michael Pollan's last book, your your mind on plants, and Uh there's an entire chapter in the middle of that. I think the three are opium, caffeine, and mescaline, and the caffeine chapter is obviously very coffee heavy, and it was like completely illuminating because it talked about how coffee gave birth to like you know the rise of modern civilization the normal work week Mm. like uh, you know many of like the deeper intellectual breakthroughs he like traces back to coffee which like if if you don't read the whole book that chapter alone is well worth your time and it was like kind of like a reinforcement of like oh this compulsion is if not healthy at least understandable wait first of all that's fascinating because what the the snippets I gathered about that book and some of the things I've heard Paulin talking about, I thought he was pretty like anti-coffee. So I was like, screw that. I'm not reading that book. No, I don't think he is. I don't think he's like a super converted coffee guy. Like he talked about how his his uh, like inclination was uh, like a half calf once a day, but even that was deep enough caffeine addiction that he certainly got the effects of it. And he, I, he comes out of that it's, I think, a very measured take on coffee, caffeine, and its relationship and okay. what it does to you and why it's why it's worth it. It's, to my mind, leaving it. And maybe that you just read it and do it what you want. But I read it and it came out like, pretty pro. Okay. So, All right. Well, yeah. then I will choose to read it now. At least that chapter since, you know, reinforcing why, why we are, quote unquote, enthusiasts about yeah. these things um, I, I, he he went through a period of withdrawal which was fascinating and mm-hmm. a couple of years ago i had like i was losing my voice and it was like um acid reflux related huh. and i went on this acid reflux diet which was fairly miserable it's like no coffee no alcohol no tomatoes no chocolate like for about 90 days and wow. the the it was a miserable experience but the thing i missed the most was coffee yep. and the euphoria that i felt 
like after that 90 days on my like first cup back was like is almost worth going through like measured withdrawals <laughs> again so you could feel that again wow okay coffee gear okay and i you know i have to say and i'm trying to keep it honest here i don't know that it was actually when i was hanging out with you in middlebury at the press forward office and you were making me well multiple espressos because i just was kind of like another sir please may i have another but i kind of had been in a position where i had just ruled out the kind of more manual process of making espresso i was like i'm really busy i work a ton and people that have listened to some of our previous Gear 30 conversations, like with Cody Townsend, where we talked about Mocha Masters versus like Euras, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. I was like, this suits my lifestyle. The kind of the super automatic coffee makers, press a button, try to find a good version of those. That that has, you know, it seemed like I don't have time for the art of coffee making, right? Or the fussiness, maybe. And we're going to be talking more about how I've kind of been maybe knocked off of that. <laughs> but 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 I do think, I mean, I do remember vividly, you've, you've got a beautiful machine there in Middlebury. And so, just talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned it kind of really started for you at the cupping class. But yep. one of the things I find fascinating and awesome about coffee and coffee gear is that there are some people who will swear by like a Hario V60 pour over or an AeroPress. And those are incredibly cheap ways yeah. to make coffee. Yep. Then on the other hand, as you and I know, you can get into the way opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the gear and the equipment and the price tags that accompany these things. So yep. I'm curious, like what have you messed with what different types of coffee gear have you sort of dated yeah, in your life? Right. What, what was that like? So, I, I'm in like a long-term relationship with <laughs> a number of them. I have a, like a polyamorous relationship with a lot of like uh, coffee gear. So, I'll just give you the background here in general. So, at home, we have a Mocha Master, an automatic pour-over. And the reason for it is my wife and I like to drink more than just a single espresso shot in the morning, like a large cup of coffee but love the taste of the pour over we got to the mocha master by dent of like trying a different automatic pour over it failed i was extremely pissed because the, none of the parts were replaceable and then i went back and bought the mocha master and have been happy ever since and loved it's like german sturdiness yep. love yep. like the buttons love the the ability to service it to fix it yeah so that's our daily driver it huh. goes every day it's it's amazing um a number of Hario pour-overs, some generic ceramic pour-overs. Um, I travel with the Snow Peak fold-out pour-over a lot of the time when I'm like going to events or um, to my in-laws who drink terrible coffee. And I hope they listen to this because we've had this argument where they're like, that's just your opinion. I'm like, no, that's fundamental fact. <laughs> Celebrate your lowbrow tendencies, your coffee shit. And that's just how it is. Um, so I bring that there. And then for the office, we have a Profitec 700. It is a German main machine actually, but looks exactly like the, the Italian main machines. There's a slight price advantage of having that machine but any versus the machine versus the Vers ecm versus, right it's versus ECM. ecm or you know i mean you can go through the list a lot of the internals are actually the same and i think you're it's sort of like when you buy a watch in switzerland or you cross the border and buy a watch in france like there's what's the difference that there's a determinant that way but I'm not going to fault anybody who buys an espresso machine because they want an Italian name and a beautiful aesthetic because I do celebrate the process of making it. Like I like, I enjoy it most of the time, like just before this, this recording, like I went up, pulled a shot. I like that. It forces you to slow down for a second. I like, um, I, I like the ritual of doing it. I like sit there, it pulls you out of your take. It's sort of like the pre Apple watch. You should stand up now and have this second. Huh. Um, and I, and I, I, celebrate that um i like that it's small i like i like the taste i like the experience so 
that's the machine here at the office that we use. And then I have, you know, a relationship with other machines that be a friends. My closest and oldest friend is a, a bike nerd. We grew up as shop kids together and he's a, a, a doctor now in, uh, in North Carolina. And he has a Slayer, which is like a, $10,000 beautiful maiden organ machine. It's like extremely severe. And the coffee he makes is like just, it's tremendous. Like going there for me is every bit like a tourist experience, like visiting him to pull up, pull that. So we just, we send each other beans and huh. like just celebrate the nerdiness that way. But that is the whole of the gear. I just had another psychopath, sorry, enthusiast celebrate it. Just told me about slayer mm -hmm. so that's actually a company that's brand new to me and he's like dude we are actually just having a conversation about drugs but drugs we quite like and we think enhance mm -hmm. our lives uh mm -hmm. but he it, he literally kind of when he was described and by the way this was scott andrus the founder of on3p skis mm -hmm. who i previously had on crafted because he is obsessed with knives Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know is actually his coffee gear obsession way trumps, I think, his knife obsession. And so, Scott is a lot of also at fault for kind of spinning my brain out about coffee gear and the like. And Scott, we were wrapping up a conversation and he was like, by the way, man. If you really want to, you know, I don't know what drug dealers talk about when they're trying to level, level you up to the next thing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it was exactly that sort of phraseology. And then he's like, check out Slayer sometime. Okay. Gotta go. And that's mm -hmm. how it left me. And I'm like, <laughs> so it was. Yeah. I, I've like basically resigned myself. I had fought it for so long. I had resigned myself that when the time comes to retire the machine that's in the office here, like will replace it with a slayer because it, i to my mind it like it, it it it's overkill it's absurd but it's like it's uh, it's un it's like a, an aspiration right it's it's too beautiful a piece and there's uh, there's incredible coffee machines you know lama zorco and yeah. like all of these incredible machines but i also i do like that it's american new espresso because if you yeah. spent time in italy and i've spent a lot of time in italy our, our apparel brand is made in italy yeah you can it's it's actually hard to find in outside of cities the kind of single origin sort of new school espresso it's it's like the equivalent of going to chamonix and ordering an ipa and be like what are you talking about right so that to me is kind of where it, like the progressive arm of huh. interesting coffee is headed okay well that's fascinating so again forgive me i'm sort of still somewhat new to this is new espresso an actual term or did you just sort of no create i mean uh, no i think it's it, it, when you look at the number of small roasters right who are doing light roasts mostly single origin you know like i in addition to like the coffee equipment right there's like also the the coffee beans journey that oh, yeah. have like sort of gone on over time and, yeah. and for years there was not a ton of places even in new england that i was like super stoked about um tandem coffee out of uh maine was was strong but i was still buying a lot of coffee from i think i originally started with intelligentsia before it was yeah. acquired yeah um and then was with heart like buying a lot of heart roasters for a long time and but um and the move to this this vivid brand, Ian's brand. I'm like so thrilled with to have what they're doing so close to us. It's, it's amazing. And I think it's, it's like, you know, your brewer in the same way, like yep. they're great beers everywhere. Yeah. Right. And, but if you go to the alchemist in Stowe, it's got the same account or wh wherever it is, everybody has like a secret small brewer. And now there's, I think this uprising of appropriate to this conversation, like craft, you know, focus on, the, the beans that are coming out and like extremely nuanced um, experiences with it. Yep. New espresso though. I want to hang on to that. You know, I feel okay. like we talk about like new wave, you know, in music and, and yeah. I think this is great. And I think you need to seize this and, I'm going to start talking about the new espresso movement all the you're like, time. You're just, com you're just compelled with like, re like renaming shit, but like uh, the, right. the, yeah. the way that you actually talk about it, if you're like studying coffee, it's called third wave. Cafes. Third wave. Right. That's, right. That's, Sorry. Right. Yeah. But 
new espresso is sort of like where that is. The Italians think people are crazy for this third wave inclination because if you if you go there, like the the taste and the depth of the taste is just different. So, Whew. all right, back to the gear. Okay. So. Part of the question here, and again, shout out slash accusation of Scott Andrus, because you can go so down the rabbit hole with respect to, you know, the size of the portafilter, right? And are you going with a more traditional 58 or, and people are making the case for a 53 millimeter because you can get into burr size and type of burrs on grinders and the like, you know, at what point is this just a bit insane? At what point is this no, you know, leveling up or being willing to spend more money actually will get you a very different sort of experience, perhaps very much increase your enjoyment of this beverage and at what point does it become spending money you know on a slayer or an ecm etc etc this just becomes like well it is sort of aspirational it is about the aesthetics and the beauty of these pieces of equipment and if you happen to be a gear dork already well you might gravitate toward that thoughts I mean, absolutely, but I would back it up a little bit. And I would say this. So I'm, I am an unabashed gear dork, right? Like, uh, particularly for the things that I love. Um, but I think the relationship to coffee and the relationship to the gear and like not, and I don't want to just talk about the gear, but the beans, the gear, the roast, the the time you make it, how you make it, all Mm -hmm. of these pieces, the water, the shop I mentioned before, the, the Virgin's Laundry, I was on a bike ride one time. You were on that road. It was up high. I don't know if you remember, there's a spring up there and we stopped and filled bottles. Yeah. And I came across the owner of that cafe filling giant containers of that spring water which i later learned that he brought down for to sell his coffee wow and he he talked about how the ph of it made a different coffee like this you know he was like that level that to me is this this third point and i don't want to wax too rhapsodic with it but if you look if you look at any of these things so let's say mountain bike suspension right there is an aesthetic quality to how the bike looks, how the bike performs, where you're riding, what you bring to that experience that ends up creating this almost like third point, this, this, this existence that is like not the gear and not the person, but like where those two intersect. And that I think is extremely compelling. If you're trying to level up the experience, if you're trying to have like a really great experience, you can go ride on all kinds of old gear and yep. have a nice time and understand what that is. But that nuanced take of, Oh, I'm riding just a little bit better. Or I'm finding just this incredible feeling right here. Same with skis. You guys go deep on skis mm-hmm. and like, it's sort of the equivalent of saying, well, you just need a 17 meter radius and everything's fine. Well, uh-huh. but that's like nope. just a tiny part of yep. it, right? Like the interaction, the relationship, where you're skiing, how you ski, what the center of construction is of the ski, all of that is going to, determine and i think the alchemy of how you're trying to figure that out is super fun and and i think a a totally valid way to organize a hobby (laughs) i love that final i love that that was your your conclusion in the finale a perfectly legitimate way to sort of organize a hobby okay so virtually every morning you're at home is this right virtually every morning you start the day with coffee made from your mocha master of which mm-hmm. i have one upstairs mm-hmm. okay yep and then you head to the office and you start pulling shots off your profitech right you really enjoy both ways both systems of making coffee kind of equally it's just equal but different or are you like Drinking from your, the stuff from your mocha master, like, God, I can't wait to get to the office. No, 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 no. I feel like we're going right back to the same conversation about like gravel riding versus mountain bikes, Mm. right? Like, I I feel like there isn't a, I don't pull a shot every day. And I think I have the last week or two in part because I've needed the break and the drugs because work, I've had a lot of work. But I don't think... I don't I don't look at those as, as one of those sort of like horses for courses and like building this experience that you want. 
Um, you, you, the way you describe the Mocha Master is hilarious because my wife would take issue with it being so simplified because there's been times when like she's made the coffee and I'll drink it and I'll say, how many grams of beans did you use? Cause this is light. And she's like, I used 105 grams for eight cups. And I said, Oh, it's 110. Oh no. Like that's how bad it is. And I totally own the absurdity. I'm like, and if you go to nine cups, then it's 123 grams. Because after like a long period of oh, like no. te- testing and like, so it's not as simple as like, yeah, I start this off, but th- that is what we do. Um, and, and then, yeah, most days I'll pull a shot or for me or pull a shot for me and Katie and, and, um, and go down that road. Okay. Okay. Now, here's another reality of my life. I have a lot of friends in a lot of friends in Crested Butte who have these Breville, kind of the Barista Express. I think almost every one of them has this, uh, you know, what gets called a semi automatic espresso maker. And they all love it. I have not had one person in my life who owns one of these machines ever say anything less than i love this thing it's so great it makes me so happy and now i'm just throwing him under the bus scott andrus is like i by the way i have one of them sitting in an unopened box in my house i ordered one because all of my friends like everybody i know including our podcast producer the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, she has one of these, loves it, is so happy. I ordered one, and Scott Anders is like, you send that back right now. That is a middle-of-the-road thing, where you're headed, and given your love of coffee, you are going to regret this, and you are just going to look back at this and be on to the next thing and be like, why did I even spend time here? This is part of what set me on my, like... I mean, he like dug in and again, kind of throwing Scott under the bus here, I suppose. What are your thoughts on this versus the like buy once right, you know, versus you stepping stone path? <laughs> we got a, I can't remember the, the model as a wedding gift, uh, like of one of these like middling pieces. And at the time it was, it was great. I mean, we weren't like going deep. But it was it was great. It was a it was an easy way to make coffee. I think this goes to like that piece I I said in the beginning about like not wanting to learn anything about wine. Yeah, because I recognize like how bad it can get. I don't disagree with Scott at all. If those folks are happy, it's sort of the same thing as somebody coming to you with a a 2006 Rocky Mountain Switch and saying, "I love this bike. It's Uh amazing. It's the best bike ever." I'm like, the head tube's completely fucked. Yeah, and it's six inches of travel front and back. It weighs 57 pounds. What are you talking about? Right. And that's not a smash on, on Rocky Mountain, but it's sort of like that was the, the middle of the road experience that we all went through to get to where bikes are right now. Huh. Right. Wow. The, okay. That's sort of my take on it is like, I don't think Scott's wrong. It's a stop on the journey. You might be accelerating your journey given that you've got the time and insight and inclination to understand what the evolution of gear is and probably a higher tolerance for paying more for nicer shit. Uh-huh. Okay. First of all, amazing conversation and amazing insights in this. You, you weirdo. Um, <laughs> this is incredibly helpful. I knew, I knew I was right. I was like, I'm, I'm going to talk to Andrew and uh, I, I, God, I was right about this. Okay. This is a tougher one. How well can you articulate the differences from going from, again, a nice system that a lot of people in my life love, mm-hmm. like a semi-automatic espresso maker, how well can you articulate the difference between going from that to something like your Profitech or some of the other great machines out there that's a more manual experience? What are we getting? Not just the aesthetics. You've already talked really well about that. I I don't think that, I mean, I don't think that we should look at it just like manual versus not, but I think I understand what you're talking about, which is like a, a double boiler system that with, with, you know, uh, the ability to control temperature and pressure. Yeah. Right. So, and I taught, I was like, you know, clowning on my in-laws because 
we we spent a month in Moab in November. I like we moved out to Moab for the month to avoid Vermont, and they brought their own coffee because they didn't want mine, and I didn't want theirs. Wow! Right, and so like every morning we like made two separate <laughs> two two separate cups, and I was like, "That's fine because your coffee's terrible," and they were like, "No, it's not. That's just your taste. That's just your opinion." And I think what it comes down to is like, well, no, like like. Th- objectively it's it's bad yeah right? it is a giant mix of beans and like it's basically vulgar black liquid burnt to this <laughs> way that you've like decided that you enjoy which is fine like lean vulgar into that. black liquid burnt amazing like, so so i think the question is right you're really wading into a place that's going to get contentious and it's kind of the difference between hotel art and high art and you, if if you really like dogs playing poker on your wall, more power to you. I have no issue with that, oh right? God. Like that, like I celebrate it, right? So that that's the issue, right? We're talking about rarefied, douchey confines that I have no problem like trafficking in. <clears throat> okay, that was amazing. <laughs> but if. I don't think so, you I don't think you answered the question. Because, all right, so defining the taste. Because okay. if you said if you said my 2006 mountain bike by frankly any brand any right. brand in 2006 I said that because I had a 2006 okay. Rocky Mountain Switch that's why yeah, I chose I, that one. I right. don't want to ride any mountain bike from any brand from 2006, right? Uh, not at all, not remotely. Why? Pedal efficiency is going to be better. It is going to be lighter. The components are going to work better. The feel is going to, the suspension is going to be dialed to a degree that isn't even in the same league. So I can, ar- I can articulate the performance. Maybe that's what I'm trying to get at here. Yep. I can articulate the performance benefits of virtually every decent, not best, even decent mountain bike today versus the top of the line thing from 2006. Oh, so maybe it wasn't a good comparison. Can you articulate the benefits from say a middle, a middling priced bike versus the $12,000 Uber bike? Yep. So there you go. I mean, that's the thing. And so the difference is this, right? If, if you're pulling an espresso shot um, or if you're the, the differences between say a Mr. Coffee and a mocha master are going to be slightly less but they're still going to be better because a mocha master blooms the coffee to begin with yep. it's slightly less acidic it's it's less uh it, or it's more concentrated it takes more beans to do it well like more grounds to do it well so the flavor profile is different espresso and pour over coffee really coffee in general is governed by like three things it's like the brightness or the acidity of it at the the sweetness and then any other tones that give it character so you can taste beans over time and piece together like are those south american beans are these kenyan beans like how bright do you like the beans how acidic the 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 roast is adds uh, like a further depth to what it is that third wave espresso cafe that we talked about roasts beans lighter they're not as darkly roasted it's a particularly american inclination towards like super dark heavy roast and people conflate that with like a good flavor when most of the time it's burnt and it's used to hide the fact that you're using like inferior beans or mixed beans and you're trying to make them taste the same way with when yep. they, they lose the flavor profile it, if you enjoy that if you enjoy your revel if you enjoy this I, like look I, I eat fast food occasionally it tastes good there's still qualities to that that i understand when you go to this this next piece at the gear or the beans or the compunction or the the, the inclinations to do this you're trying to chase down like how you tune those other things for like a incredibly subjective thing, which is taste yeah. and arguing that taste is better for somebody. If they like Dun- Dun- Dunkin' Donuts coffee, I would never do for me. I love this. I think it's really fun. Um, I love the taste. I enjoy like reading about coffee. I get like the Sprudge newsletter and I look at, I have a bunch of Instagram accounts that I follow that are interesting and, the, I, I think it's like like I said before. It is a it's a hobby, and it's a valid hobby in the in the same way. I love that you keeps declaring that your hobby is valid. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's it's really easy to be like, oh, this is just. And I think for a lot of people, it can be just like costumes, right? Like, look at my express right. expensive machine, and 
I don't really care if yeah. people see my expensive machine. Like yeah. it's not on display. I don't have one in my house actually. It's like, it's more like what is the, what's the experience that way? I think it's sort of the same thing about being unapologetic about my bikes, which are like, if, if 14 year old me saw my bikes now, he'd be like, you made it. You did it. <laughs> right. Like, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Right. We're so that's like, that's where it is. So coming back to something like a Hario V60, again, sure. there are people out there like, really respected people out there yeah that's what all the whole cupping class was on ahario v60 yep. every drink we, we took so you can buy one of those for like 20 bucks you can buy it for like eight bucks <laughs> like yeah and, and and by the way this is absolutely one of the things that i adore about coffee and coffee nerdery yeah is that unfortunately when it comes to bikes or say really good ski equipment Somebody who's like, I'd love to get into cycling. You can't go buy what some would regard to be the best bike out there right. for $20. Right. $8.95 right now on Amazon. I just looked. Hario V60 plastic coffee, $8.95. $8.95. So this is one of the greatest things, I think. And I can't really think of too many other craft categories out there where arguably the best system the best the dorkiest the most elitist right way to make this beverage is with a thing that costs eight dollars and 95 cents i love that i love that about coffee because often in the conversations we have it's like yep there is a high price point to entry here not for coffee and so right. the broke college student listening to this conversation go get yourself a hario v60 and start learning more about beans and for a very the beans are going to be the expensive part of uh, this that was, i was just going to say right. the, the the beans generally like in my life i've spent way more on beans than i have equipment yep so like yeah i i just love this about I, I love this about coffee, but then it just kind of comes back to, okay, well then why not just buy the thing for eight ninety five as opposed to the thing that can start, I mean, Slayers, you're going to drop eight, nine, ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. And um, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around that and, and trying to articulate or think through the performance differences because now it isn't. The analogy about bikes kind of breaks down, right? Middling, a Hario V60 is not by professionals viewed as a middling system. No, no, not at all. But changing the lens of it, like enjoying the mountains, right? A pair of running shoes is going to be price commensurate to an expensive mountain bike that the Hario is to whatever, right? Like you can sort of make the comparison that way. I think it breaks down a little bit that way. But I also think... This goes back to like, again, the, the gear podcast that we chatted about bikes. There isn't one way to do this that's uniform. And every, every coffee nerd I know has like a preference. So my friend Joshi with the Slayer makes yeah. a shot or two every morning and maybe a shot in the afternoon and doesn't do as much, but is no stranger to a pour over and will like find his way towards like whatever else and be like stoked. So I think it's, the, there isn't like a unicorn, right? Like that's going to make this all great. And I think t to your point, like, yeah, go get a V60 play with like the, the burr grinder. I can't celebrate enough the snow peak, like travel, like hand burr grinder, folding pour over, like that goes everywhere I go. So, huh? Absolutely. All right. We've got like eight minutes before I have to let you get back to, you know, real work. This uh, is real work. This is super important. We're not don't 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 diminish coffee, Jonathan. Okay. We've got this is serious shit. <laughs> How should we spend our last eight minutes? Should we go down the road or say a bit more about grinders and sort I mean, of your experience there, or just a couple of if you want to offer any guidance to me? Yeah. So this is the thing that happens a lot, and I've helped friends buy. I think I've helped like five or six or seven in the last year go buy uh, whatever their setup is going to be. Um, 
I have had a really good experience with the folks at Clive Coffee. Coffee. I, none of these guys are clients. I yeah. don't get any kickbacks. There's no like financial tie-in. We're, we're using a, a a Eureka Mignon espresso grinder in the office, um, but we I like have I've recommended the Barazza Vario because it's like the most sort of cost efi- efficient burr grinder for entering into espresso. But there's like the ones that I think if I'm like rebooting right now, there's like the single dose, the ones that actually me- meter out how, how many beans come out for the espresso machine. So you don't have to spend as much time like gauging or filling it that way. Um, there's all kinds of tools. I don't like them as much. I like all I use is a, a distributor and a tamper into a porta filter for espresso. I don't stir it or I don't weigh it. I, it's like by and large, like that piece is still pretty subjective that way um but yeah in terms of the equipment like getting a burr grinder i think is the next thing that people who come from this don't necessarily understand they come out of a chop grinder and what happens with a chop grinder is the the blades hit the beans and a lot of the oils dis, uh, distribute off to the edges of the container so if you pick up your chop grinder container you can like rub your finger on the inside and it's like extremely greasy and feels kind of odd that way you lose a lot of the taste that comes from uh, the burr grind which like basically like grinds it into a finer powder and allows the water to be pressurized through it that to me is like a, a, a fairly straightforward place that way but there there are hand grinders again if we're looking for like the um the least expensive way to do it you can literally like hand hand grind the stuff you can get you know super nerdy that way but that's that's what i've that's what I've recommended. And again, there are coffee enthusiasts, which we're calling calling these folks now. There are folks who are like, if you're not using a hand grinder, what are you even doing? <laughs> right? And then, yeah. and then yeah. there are people, maybe somebody whose name I've dropped a few times on this podcast, who's like, you just need to get a DF83, yeah. which is like a thousand dollar grinder. Yeah. And I'm like, what are, what is happening? If you're if the DF eighty three compels you, then I have no. I'm not. I'm making no judgments because, like you know, I think it's like every other piece that we talked about in this way. Wait, there is not a right ski. So, but when you get to the, those, I the price sucks, and I'm I feel badly that it's that much. But I also look at it like, look, if this is your thing, and this is the thing that you have the disposable income to do, you're it's it, it's a compelling. Uh, way to spend your time. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's all you got on that, huh? Because, you know, like, I do really know skis. Yeah. And we we don't have a parallel here, which is kind of weird, right? This is a... People get obsessed with skis, obviously. They're passionate about it. It's a key experience of their life. They savor their time skiing like we savor coffee. But in the ski world... You you can't you can't actually go buy a ten thousand dollars ski. There's a couple of like complete bullshit skis out there, right? That are not made any better. You know, so if someone I, I, found one of these fancy ass skis that caught, and there's only a couple, but if they came to me and were like, "Oh, I just love skiing so much; it's the most important thing in my life." ergo i'm gonna go buy the one that costs ten thousand dollars i'd be like don't fucking do that that shows you don't actually know anything about ski manufacturing and ski design this is just a gilded ski that is not better than everything else on the market but that's not exactly where i think that's not the same conversation or or you know what I'm saying? I'm stumbling around it, here. It, no, I understand what you're saying, but I don't agree necessarily because objectively, it's pretty hard to say the espresso that comes out of a $12,000 machine is better than the espresso that comes out of a $5,000 machine. It's just, you're not getting twice as good. Yeah. You're paying for that gilded experience and you're paying for craftsmanship. You're paying for aesthetics, right? So like if there were a $10,000 ski and it was like a phantom black color, nobody else had. And you're like, well, I'm paying for that because I love the way that looks and it really moves. And if you're, if you're honest with yourself about it, like that's, that's when to my mind, where you look at 
Slayer, right? Like, and I would absolutely buy one. Yeah. I, I'm not going in under the illusion that what's going to come out is coffee commensurate with how much more that costs. I'm also buying it because I think it's beautiful. I think it's the, the way it's manufactured is cool. Like the, the, the source of that. So I think there is a parallel experience. I think also like skis there, there, and you know, full disclosure, like, I've been a Fisher athlete and have managed Fisher's PR through the agency for a very long time. There's, it, you will unlo- you will likely never see me on another ski, but I also recognize there are a lot of great skis out there, and yeah. the experience people are going to have on skis is not going to be you know made differently because they go from one or the other, or, or it's because of the the name on the top sheet necessarily. Yeah, I have my reasons and I can celebrate them, but that's that would be my take. Hmm. What are your final words of wisdom for me? Um, this and again, I'm going to have this similar conversation with several people in my life. Um, one, because I think, frankly, I do think if you're kind of a gearhead, these things are fascinating. And I actually think there's millions of people around the world who are wondering and trying to think through these exact same questions. And it's really fun, right? It's fun stuff to think through. And, you know, what am I, what are my reasons for going with the less expensive machine or going with something more expensive in the rest? And I think it's really fun to get different people's perspectives. So appreciate it. We're calling this part one in this coffee gear series. Um, I don't know. We might just end up, you and I create our own podcast where we just actually have this exact conversation, but once a week, you know, indefinitely, (laughs) but final parting thoughts. Now I'm getting selfish specifically for me, given what you've kind of hear me, heard me talking about. So I have two, two thoughts. Here's the one for you, which is, I think like you're clearly like you're coffee curious at this point, which is, I, I don't think that there's a singular right answer. And, and, um, if you do start with the pour over, I think that's a great place to start because it sort of sorts out where that rolls. From, from my perspective, taking some time and finding the bean flavor profile that you like, you know, like th- you decide your medium to begin with. Is it pour over coffee? Is it espresso? Whatever. And then you decide your equipment. That's simple for pour overs. It gets a little more complicated for espresso, but that I think that's just a conversation around, all right, I wouldn't budget less than, you know, $3,500 to $5,000 to come up with a machine that like pulls, pulls in a way on par with like the nicest machines. And then I would take a lot of time and piece together what flavor profile do I like of beans? What origin do I like of beans? Like how do I like them roasted? And then how do I like them prepared? And then move from that. So that's what I would say to you is like, what's the medium? And then what are the means? For the 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 Breville folks in your life, or even for the folks who are like me, who are are deep into coffee, I think I would encourage people like to not become rote with this, right? Where it's like this is what I like, and this is the coffee, and it's 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 like riding on a different trail setup. It's like traveling to a different mountain. It's it, name it a human experience, and there's like that variety that in, like that introduction is compelling and. And just tweaking it slightly, uh, whether it's, you know, you think of that matrix where it's like high minded, low minded, like wherever it is, if it's like more rarefied in that direction, and not to be afraid of that because of some overarching, you know, the quality, I think we have a tendency to vilify these things that are complicated, or expensive not unreasonably because that gets manipulated, but just because something's complicated or expensive doesn't mean it isn't also good or great, right? And to find your way in that direction, um, it can be really satisfying. So like starting to mess around with that, that, that's pretty fun. We're just we're just straight still talking about me for now. So I feel bad, but but, um, (laughs) here's another thing. And, you know, the fact is, I, first of all, I love that point. Do not get set in your ways. That's just a great lesson in life, just literally about everything in the world. Don't just be like, I hate this. That's terrible. Be open to rethinking these things. And perhaps especially when we're talking about areas of craftsmanship and 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 artisanry and origins, right? This, when yep. we're talking about this realm where a lot of people are working hard and I mean, you know, the wine world certainly shares this, right? But like, 
people are working hard to do this well and to be open and trying to explore and understand what's great about something that maybe isn't right now you're in your exact wheelhouse and this brings me to my point the fact is on this very crafted podcast i'm going to be talking with a number of different coffee roasters and exploring beans and one of the biggest things and scott andrus made this point he's like you better be able to have some gear that's going to allow you to optimize right Mm -hmm. exactly like bring the best out of these different beans Mm -hmm. now maybe that hario v60 can still do that but certainly it absolutely can I mean, it absolutely can. And I take issue with anybody who's like, no, you have to have a blah, blah, blah to do this. Like, yeah. I, I, you, it can. I think what Scott's talking about is it's not just the gear, but the process too, yeah. right? Like yeah. how it's being ground, if it's consistently being ground, how much, how what's the weight of the grounds being put into it, how you're organizing it. It's like, it's the same thing. I'm sure your process for testing skis or bikes is pretty specific. And yeah. my, my suspicion is that that's what Scott's talking about is yeah. like ro- rolling in and just grinding it once and being like, Oh, I like this or I don't like yeah, this. Like not- if you look at a, if you look at a cupping class procedure, it's like, it's extremely you know clear and, and proceed like th- there is a process. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, I am not currently, I don't know why I'm not that tempted with the Hario V60 pour over process. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. So if I am going into the espresso machine, mm-hmm. did you already say this a couple minutes ago? Did you tell me like, dude, you need to be looking at things in the thirty five hundred to five thousand dollar range to like? I, look, this is what yeah. I, I love. No, I coffee. Mean, that's my t- yeah, I've already told you, take. coffee is basically in my I'm top three of things that I care about in the world. So if you're, and so this is what you're just saying, Hey man, I'm just saying, given what I've heard you say, you are saying that's where you think the price range is. Uh, Yeah. You're looking at a double boiler or heat exchanger machine. All the brevels are single boiler. So there's that. And the the way it works is different. You want to have the ability to look at the temperature and the pressure and be able to gauge both of those pieces, or at least make sure they're in the right window to create good espresso. And, and from that, there's a lot of options and a lot of the internals end up being the same. It's one of the reasons, like I said, why the Profitec 700 is a great machine is because it ends up using extremely similar internals to an ECM or yep. a Luca or some of the other pieces, but it's, there's, there's a, like a, a cost savings yep. just a, by dent of it being a German machine instead of an Italian machine. That's where I would start. Clive Coffee is where I've bought pieces in the past and they have great educational materials on their site. And then there's, you know, Sprudge is a great resource and I would start there and, and learn. And then I wouldn't be afraid to sort of pick I wouldn't say arbitrarily, but also based off like, does this move you, right? Yeah. Like, does this, is, is this, is this a beautiful thing that moves you? You're going to use it every day. So. Hmm. I love it. Um, it's fun. This was every bit, this, this is every bit as good of a conversation as I thought it was going to be. So, thank you for coming through. <laughs> I'm glad um, I could bring some coffee douchebaggery to your, your, uh, you know, podcast. <laughs> well. Well, I, I, I think you yourself have actually articulated quite well how and why this can be not just about douchebaggery. And I mean, we've spent no time talking about coffee makers as status symbols or like, this sure. is a great way to try to impress your friends. Like, you and I don't care about that. And if that's primarily what somebody's going for, that's probably not going to be somebody that sort of resonates with the things that you're you're talking about and and uh so yeah it's all show and no go right like if somebody shows up and they can't they can't turn that really saucy bike that they're riding it it, there's something gets missing so it's yep anyway anyway good luck i look forward to hearing where you land and (laughs) i love like when i'm in colorado we're gonna need to like have some have some tastings absolutely absolutely well i look forward to it and uh I'm going to let you actually get back to your your other job, let's (laughs) just say. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Cheers. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks so much to Andrew for that tour de force of a conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, who is a proud Breville owner, I might add, for producing this episode. 
And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these crafted conversations, it would mean a whole lot to us if you would take just a second to give us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. And that will just help us keep this whole thing going and growing. And it would make me feel better to get some comments that like, hey, we really enjoyed this conversation. You aren't the only psychopaths out there. So help us out here to our fellow, you know, coffee enthusiasts. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to hear more of these kind of gear episodes of Crafted, please let us know. Leave us that rating or review so we don't feel so alone and weird out there in the world. Okay, thanks everybody. Talk to you soon.